Today's the second Sunday in our series on the Christ of Christmas. And we're doing this series, and even I love the graphic that Susie created here for us, because Christ jumps out when you look at the graphic. And there's so often in Christmas time where we lose sight of Jesus Christ. We lose sight of Christ because there's activities that we need to do, or there's gifts that we need to buy, or there's pressure that we feel around relationships at this time. It's the end of the the fiscal year for some, and the work. There's a lot of stuff that piles on us at the end of the year at work. And so we are focusing for these uh, Christmas and Advent messages on the Christ of Christmas. And today we're going to look at another name of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, God with us, the Christ of Christmas. And today's message is going to be actually done in two parts. Part one, we're going to look at the scripture. We're going to look at Matthew chapter one, where we see this uh, name of Jesus given, Emmanuel. And we're going to unpack a little bit of some of the history around that passage, because it's a little bit mysterious with respect to Joseph. But then we're going to move from that scripture to the second part of the message where I unpack for us a little bit more God with us. And for us as modern people, sometimes the idea of God with us now in our day and time is sometimes a little problematic. But I'll get to that in the second part. So for part one, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. And this is where we get the name Emmanuel, God with us. In this encounter with Joseph, and he gets a message. He gets a message from God. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, that's legally pledged to be married, to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And this is Emmanuel. This is God with us. And so this scripture, perhaps you've heard it before. It's one of the famous Christian Christmas texts that's read at this time of year. But there's some things that are curious to us as modern people, as we listen to this. Joseph and Mary are betrothed to be married, 
but they're not married yet. And so to unpack this a little bit, what this is like is sort of like for us, it's like engagement. It's like Mary and Joseph were engaged, but it's more than that. So culturally, historically, it's such a promise to be married that in order to break this off, you actually need a certificate of divorce. So it's like somewhere between how we understand engagement and then the actual marriage now. But it's actually before the season, and it's the season before the actual wedding ceremony. So what what the readers would understand and what culturally would understand is this is very, very specific time where there's this very intense promise made between Mary and Joseph. However, it's not yet the wedding, which means the marriage has not yet been consummated. So there's no way that she could have been made pregnant by Joseph. So there's this big promise, but there's no way that Joseph could be the father of Mary's child. So then this passage brings up, again for us modern listeners, a kind of a curious phrase. This passage says, Joseph, being a just man, being unwilling to put Mary to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So this is, this is what, all what Joseph's going on, this is the birth of Jesus, all this conflict going on. Joseph, being a just man, not wanting to shame Mary, says, you know what I'll do? I'll divorce her quietly. Now, how is that a just or a righteous action? Because for us, it sounds like, what? He's like totally abandoning her. It sounds like Joseph is like kicking Mary to the curb. Because all of a sudden, like, what's going on? How can that be just? How can that be righteous? What you have to understand is what Joseph is looking at is promised to Mary, but I didn't have her, I didn't cause her to be pregnant. So she must have committed adultery. There must be another guy. But he wants to be just and righteous, so he's not going to announce Mary's unfaithfulness. He's going to separate from her quietly. The righteous part, or the just part, is how Joseph is looking to quietly separate himself from Mary. Jesus runs into a very, very similar situation in John chapter 8. And in this passage of John chapter 8, same cultural time, same cultural context, there's a woman that's been caught in adultery. And what happens is Jesus is there and a whole crowd brings this woman caught in adultery and brings this woman to Jesus' feet. And in John chapter 8, the crowd says to Jesus, Jesus, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says we need to stone this woman. We need to kill her by throwing rocks at her. But what do you say? And this is the famous scene where Jesus bends down and he writes in the sand. And the crowd is waiting. 
They're ready with rocks. They're going to kill this woman caught in adultery. And Jesus stands up and says, let him who is without sin throw the first stone. And then Jesus bends down again. He's writing in the sand. And then John 8 tells us that the crowd began to disperse from the oldest to the youngest. And the woman is spared. That's what happens to a woman that's caught in adultery. And the expectation is that she would be publicly shamed and publicly brought out. But Joseph doesn't want to do that to Mary. And so, being just and righteous, he resolves to divorce her quietly. That's what he's going to do. Because he's trapped. On the one hand, Joseph cares for Mary, but on the other hand, it looks like she's been unfaithful. And so what is he going to do with this? What's he going to do? But God comes in a dream by an angel and tells Joseph, don't fear. Take Mary as your wife because I am with this. I am at work in this. This is Emmanuel, God with us, showing up in a way that we don't expect. And there's courage for Joseph. Whenever God shows up, there's always a little bit of fear. And Joseph was experiencing that. Because by Joseph taking Mary to be his wife, all of a sudden, he doesn't get to separate himself from the problem of God with Mary in this very difficult, culturally un, um, unappropriate way. What happens is that Joseph, by taking Mary to be husband and wife, that Joseph then also enters in to all of the potential shame and all of the potential conflict and all of the culturally inappropriateness that this relationship looks like. And so Joseph, without fear, steps into that and comes alongside. Mary also, very courageous, in a different passage, also receives this. So it's Mary and Joseph together being courageous as God is at work in them. Now, I don't know about you in your life experience, but for us now, we live in what's commonly called a post-Christian historical culture. You know, 50 years ago, being a Christian was just part of the culture in the United States. But now, in our culture, and particularly in the culture of the San Francisco Bay Area, to stand up and say, oh yeah, 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 I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, opens you up to all kinds of ridicule. It opens you up to all kinds of stuff that Christians didn't have to deal with 50 years ago. God with us, just like with Joseph and with Mary, comes with a cost to us now. It comes with a cost as us, as moderns. When we step into this idea of God with us, it can be 
a costly thing. It can be a costly thing in our families or in our workplaces. Now, there's something else that happens for us, again, as modern people, that even beyond that, I think is actually a little bit of a deeper issue. And I think it's actually an issue for us, people that grow up sort of post-enlightenment, people that grow up sort of educated or sort of in a scientific sort of uh, post-modern worldview. And I think it's actually this, that even though Emmanuel is God with us, I think an issue for us as moderns is that we don't always sense that God is with us. You could have been a follower of Jesus for your whole life. You're going to church, you went to Sunday school when you were little, and you grew up. Maybe you went to college, you went to a fellowship maybe. But you're like, then you start working, you start being responsible. Other things, real life begins to pour in. And you're like, yeah, yeah, Christmas time, yeah, yeah, Emmanuel, God with us. Yeah, I've heard that a million times. But where I am as a Christian, as a modern person, is that it doesn't always feel like God is with me. So where is God? And this is the second part of what I want to talk about. Where is God? Where is God at Christmas time? I think that for us, one of the struggles about God being with us is the feeling that God is not really with us. And I wonder if it could be a little bit like the sun. And so I'm going to put a picture up here. Uh, this is a picture of my dog, and uh, this is Sherry. We call her Sherry Dog. And this was a picture uh, taken not too long ago. It's in our backyard. Sherry likes to sit in the sun, or lay in the sun, um, and then we just kind of go out in the back. I do a little gardening and, you know, scratch her a little bit every once in a while. And she loves this. And even though it's cold, um, a beautiful winter day in the Bay Area is a kind of a lot like today. It's cold outside, but the sun is shining. And it's really warm. And so Sherry and I are outside, and we're just enjoying the sun. And the sun is with us, kind of like God with us. But then, when it gets about 5 o'clock, the sun sets, it gets dark, and it gets cold, we go inside, and when the sun sets and it goes below the horizon and it gets all dark, it kind of looks like the sun's not with us. And I wonder if for Sherry, if she's like, where's the sun? The sun's gone. The sun's not with us. And I was thinking about this because, of course, what happens if you've taken astronomy or basic solar system knowledge, you know that when the sun sets, the sun is actually not moving. We are moving. We are rotating backwards on a giant ball, right? We are rotating away from the sun. The sun is there. We just can't see it. We're being blocked by the earth. We can't see the sun, but it's there on the other side. We just can't see it. And I wonder for us, sometimes when we live our modern lifestyle, it's pretty easy to orient our lives 
around other things, around other stuff that sort of buries us. I wrote down a couple of things that I know I can orient my life around. Worry, control. I can orient around image or reputation, how other people see us, maybe how our kids are going to turn out. Maybe if my kids are acting up, maybe they're a poor reflection of us as parents. Feeling good, entertainment, orient my life around eating, being right, winning, stuff that we looked at in Ecclesiastes, Hevel. There's all this stuff that we can orient our lives around and we rotate our lives away from God. And our focus and our perception gets lost because we're on the dark side of life. When we orient our lives toward these other things, is it really any surprise that it feels like God is not with us? Because we are with other things. So as a church, One of the things I love is that we continually practice things that orient us to God. We as a community continue to practice things. And we need these things because we're human, right? So here are some things, and I know you can add some things to your own list. Sunday worship. We gather every Sunday to pray and sing songs and offer our financial resources and our serving We offer our time. We gather around God's word. We fellowship together. Do you know when we sing, we don't just sing any old song, whatever. Do you know that all of our songs are songs about Jesus? They're about God. Because we are orienting our time around God. We we don't just read whatever. We read scripture. We read the Bible. We read God's word. We do that on purpose. We do that because we're orienting our lives around God. That's what we're doing. I put the silent retreat up here just because this is so foreign to our culture to go away for a weekend to be in silence, to be in solitude with each other. But we do that Not because we're crazy. We do that because we're intentionally setting aside time so that we can be with God. So that we can let down or let go of other distractions and say, God, for this 36-hour period, I'm going to enter a space to focus and be with you. And in the same way, we've been handing out these these wherever-you-go keychains. This idea that we want you guys to remember that God is with you wherever you go. It's in order that we don't live compartmentalized lives. This is my life on Sunday. This is my life on Monday. That we would live integrated lives so that we would take this with us and remember that God is with us and we would be mindful of God wherever we go. Now, to further illustrate that, 
I have a short uh, video to show you. Um, it's a vlog, which is a video log, which I found out this week. Um, but it's made by our very own Tony. So if you could direct your attention, it's about this wherever you go. Many of you have received one of these keychains reminding you that God is with you wherever you go. Here are a few of the things that God's been reminding me of this past week. So as I wake up this morning, God reminds me that he is bigger than anything I'm going to face today. All right, so as I'm here getting ready for a meeting, um, I think what God is really reminding me of is that, yes, work is important, but at the end of the day, I am at work to be a light in the workplace and to love my colleagues. He sacked the food. What? He sacked the food. It's like, what? All right, so... After watching my eighth straight episode of Shacked and a Fool, God's reminding me that maybe there's a better use of my time. So as I'm visiting with my parents, God's reminding me that time is fleeting and life is precious. Okay, as I'm on the roof of our house putting up really over-the-top Christmas decorations, God reminds me that Christmas is about the day that love came for all. Many of you have received one of these keychains. Thank you. That was so awesome. Man, I love that. All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close the message with this. Here are just some things that you might want to consider doing uh, this week to remember not only that Emmanuel, God, is with us, but... Will we be with God? Will we be with God? Will you be with God? Will you be with God? So here are some things. Slow down. Walk slowly. Drive more slowly. Slow down. I know you guys... Pack your calendars with activities and meetings. Schedule a 30-minute meeting with God. Just put it in there. Block out the little, you know, box. Say, God, 1030. Block it out. And then spend that time with God. Go dig out your wherever you go keychain and bring it with you to three places, and just go, hmm, all right. Bring it with you three places. Go find a sunny spot. And sit there. Five minutes, just sit in a sunny spot. Think about the sun, the orientation of your life. What are you rotating around? Is God there? It's easy to see the sun when it's there. Have you rotated away from God? Where is God? Is God still there? And then this last one, we're in the season of gift buying. One thing to do when you buy a gift from somebody, 
Maybe when you're rapping, maybe when you're writing their name, you just pause as you're putting the tape on. Just remember them. Say a prayer for that person. Pray a prayer of blessing over them. These are things you guys can do. There's a lot of ideas. God with us. But the question, will we be a people that will be with God? We all live busy lives. Right? Don't feel bad. You hear a message like this. Don't feel bad. And like, I don't want, don't feel guilty. Like today is a new day. It's sunny outside. It's a new day. Don't feel bad. Don't feel guilty. We've all had times in our lives where we're distracted, where we're disoriented, we feel far from God. That's why we worship every week. That's why the church worships every week. Because we all need to be reoriented to God. It's why we celebrate Christmas every year. Because this great story needs to be told. And we need to remind ourselves of the story every year. That Jesus came to be Emmanuel, God with us. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you that in this Christmas time, we remember again that you came because you really love us and you really want to be with us. And I pray, God, that even though we're really busy, that in just different ways, we might find ways to be able to be with you. Thanks, God, for your love for us. Thank you, God, for our church. Thank you, God, for this day of worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.